to From the Source. I'm Michelle Brenner and I'm your host. From the Source aims to answer the question of what tech jobs are really like, both the good and the boring. Today we're going to hear from Brendan Atkins. Brendan is a special guest because we met before I was involved in tech. He hosted this hilarious podcast called Children's Hour of Knowledge and I created a fan Twitter account for one of his characters. It was clearly a sign I was very underutilized at my job and needed to change industries. But let's talk about what you're up to now. Can you tell us your current job title and how long you've been there? Sure. Yeah, I am a senior engineer uh, at a place called ThinkShout. It's a web development agency here in Portland, Oregon. I've been there for one year. Congratulations on your one-year anniversary. Yeah, it was two days ago, actually. <laughs> nice. Did they do anything special? Uh, they bought me a lawnmower. <laughs> That's very specific. Right? I mean, it was my choice. They, they were a small <laughs> anniversary gift, and I said, I want a lawnmower. It'd be funny if you didn't have a lawn. That would be much better if you just lived in an apartment. And they were like, here you go. <laughs> I barely have a lawn. It's just enough. Uh, what does an average day look like for you? Um, I usually work from around 10 to 6. Uh, I sometimes work from home. I have a work-issued laptop that I do all my work on. But most days I bike into the office, which is in downtown. I live in southeast Portland. Uh, the office is in Old Town, um, the other side of the river. And it's about a five-mile bike ride, um, which is how I prefer to get to the office. It's it's pretty direct route. Um as far as a typical day, uh, I usually have a, a meeting or two, uh, often just small check-ins, but sometimes I, I talk to clients and work with them as well. I work at an agency, um, and so all of our work is external. We're always working for one client or another, and in particular at ThinkShout, uh, most of the clients are nonprofits or advocacy organizations. So um most of the day, I'm building websites, uh, writing code, uh, doing code review um, and quality assurance, and just building sites one by one. It must be very satisfying to work for a company that has a mission uh, towards advocacy and nonprofits and not just towards for-profit and selling products. That's a big part of my job satisfaction, yeah. Um, it's I Before this, I was working at a startup uh, uh, called PlotWatt that did um, energy efficiency and, and climate change advocacy. Um, and that was interesting too. Before that, I had most of my career has been at software agencies. Um, I worked at a Portland agency called Development Now. And before that, I worked for a New York agency called Indelible. But those were um, just kind of, I often found interesting things to do with the projects, but there was no specific mission in the same way behind them as there is with ThinkShout, which I appreciate a lot. What made you decide to go the agency consulting route instead of trying to get just a, a regular tech job? Well, I my very first tech job was a sort of regular tech job. Most of my jobs, um, which I think is true of a lot of people, I found through connections. Um, my very first job, I got out of an internship, which uh, was offered to people at my undergrad college by uh, an alumnus. Um, we didn't know each other, but he said, hey, look, I'm looking for people who have a computer science background who want to do this work. That's why I started. Um, when I started in Indelible after that, doing my first web development job, it was because a friend of mine in New York 
worked one floor up from this agency and had gotten to know some people there and said, hey, I know somebody who's looking for work. And then uh, at ThinkShout, it was just a cold interview. I didn't really know anybody there. It turned out that my first supervisor was actually my friend's roommate, but we didn't find that out until about six months <laughs> into the job. It's a small tech world. You never know who you're going to find. It is. Yeah, especially in Portland. So what has been your favorite long-term project? That's a great question. I haven't had uh, enough time at my current job to to get many long-term projects under my belt. I've often jumped onto them kind of in midstream. I would say probably um, my favorite long-term project was actually at my last job. It took up pretty much the entire span of my time there. Um, and it was just a matter of working to incorporate utility data from one particular t- utility, ComEd in Chicago. Um, they, they make usage data available to people who are clients who are, um, you know, who get electricity from them. And it was just a series of little tiny technical obstacles that took almost a full year to resolve. Uh, but it was immensely satisfying, frustrating along the way. But by the time we finally got their data into our system and we could say, hey, look, uh, you can do analysis and analytics and prediction based on your electricity usage now because we've got all this data from ComEd. Uh, it was very, very satisfying to have it done. <laughs> it's part of working for an agency. It sounds like it's very satisfying to have kind of a beginning, middle, and end to every project. That is, yeah, that's really nice, especially when you get to do a product launch um, and everybody's kind of you know gathered around the table and you're hitting the button to make it go live. Um, and often afterwards, uh, people at the agency do a little celebration as well. That's kind of the model um, that you start with uh, when it comes to building software in an agency. But the way it often ends up is that you've got this project to say, look, we're going to start here. These are the features we're going to add. This is the, uh, the stuff we're going to incorporate. And this is when it's going to wrap and launch. Um, but because uh, software doesn't really work like that, <laughs> you know, uh, you discover things along the way and uh, you find out that new stakeholders have things that need to be incorporated within the project, it often uh, changes into a more iterative process. Um, and so you end up with something different than when you started to plan with. And then you go into a support phase, so uh, which is important for both the client and the agency. Support work is a big part of our revenue, being able to continue to add features slowly and do technical support and plan out next phases of additional work. Cool. What is the most boring but essential part of your job? So at my work, we build uh, websites, particularly on Drupal and WordPress, which are two very popular uh, widespread uh, CMSs, um, content management systems. Uh, when we're building out a site, a lot of times there's uh, you need to document the way you're structuring your data, in particular in Drupal. Uh, you have to be able to say, look, we have this um, kind of content type that can appear on, on the site. It has these fields, and they're referencing these fields, and this is why. And go through, and basically there's just a giant shared uh, spreadsheet that everyone is working out of. And so if you go in there and say, all right, what on earth is this uh, post that is for 
medical data, but only medical data for a certain type of user. Where did that come from? What's going on? You have to go and check the common documentation. Uh, and if you haven't updated that, then your people you're working with, your colleagues, are not going to know what's going on. Um, so keeping documentation up to date, I would say, is crucial, but often a bit tedious. Are there any strategies or tools you use to make that easier? Um, there are. I mean, shared documents are the, the place you, you start from that. Um, that is the basic tool. But uh, we also um, can do scripting based off of uh, that, that shared document. So if I am running the site just on my laptop, just as a, a local little test environment that I can tinker with without making any big changes to the, the test site, um, then I can use something called Robo, which is a, a, a task runner that uh, we do, have done a lot of work on internally um, that just builds the site from scratch. And one of the things it does is look at this content doc and say, all right, here are all the documents that are, all the content types that have been created. I can automatically register them, set them up and dump some test data in and you're good to go. That must save you a lot of time. It really does. And it's, it's basically like being able to reboot the website in the same way that, you know, sometimes something doesn't work, you turn it off, and turn it on again. <laughs> what is the most stressful part of your job and how do you manage it? Oh, these are good questions. I mean, the, the easy answer is that launching a site is the stressful part. Uh, that's the moment when you throw the switches and things have to be all in place, ready to go. And if they're not, then uh, primarily the people who see it right away are going to be your clients. And they're going to have a lot of questions <laughs> for why suddenly you have broken their website instead of making it this new and magical thing that you were promised. Um, there are a lot of techniques we use to reduce anxiety around that. We can... Uh, we use a, a couple of hosting providers who can create staging sites or test sites that are live and it literally is just moving one from the next is a matter of hitting a button um, from the test site to the live site. But there always is a, a, a bit of concern that, oh, what if we forgot something? What if we missed a step in the checklist? So it's stressful, but so far, nothing has gone terribly wrong. <laughs> So it sounds like as part of your job, you kind of have to handle the whole gamut of the pipeline from design to actually deployment. Yeah, I don't do any design, um, but uh, we have in-house designers who do amazing work. Um, part of my job as an engineer is to look at the designs and say, all right, I know how to implement this. I know how to put this together and make it into a web page. But also, here are some things that maybe the designer hasn't thought of. What's it going to look like if it's between tablet and mobile size how is it which elements are going to squeeze and flex which ones are going to flow down the page um, and is this even possible this animation that you want us to do <laughs> so yeah providing technical feedback on design is part of the job but um, that that is a nice thing about the work is being able to start early in fact uh, sometimes you get to start with the discovery process which is a matter of talking to the client finding out what their actual needs are and kind of separating, well, here's what's on my mind. Like, these are the things that I don't like about the site from uh, here are the things that the site really needs and here's what's going to set it up for success in the future. So that's the early process through the design and, and architecture, through the implementation and then content migration and then launch. Um, sometimes you get to 
just jump in and out of a project and contribute some hours and help it along. Other times they get to kind of babysit something all the way through the pipeline. I feel like it's a, a skill they don't really talk about in school where being able to separate what people are complaining about to what they actually need and engineering that is very satisfying. Yeah. I mean, that's um, that's the the job of our strategy team, really. And they're very, very good at that. I admire their skill a lot. But that's something you just kind of, you're right. It's not part of uh, typical code school education or comp science education. Um, it's just that kind of perception and experience that you build up over years. Uh, you know, people come in and say, I want this button to be more red and more round. What they really mean is that they want to uh, convert more users into donors or buyers. Um, and they want to draw attention and add prestige to their brand. But the thing that they're focused on, because they look at it every day, is that the button's not round enough. It's not red enough, you know? Yeah. And it sounds like if you can talk to them and have the data and actually figure out what they need, you can make things happen. As opposed to like, well, they said to make it redder, so I made it redder and now we're done. <laughs> yeah, I've I've done uh, freelance work on my own. Um several times over the past 10 years and that's one of the, the problems that you face as a solo developer on the one hand you don't have to deal with overhead you can move very quickly um, you can keep more of the money that you charge which can often be a better value proposition for something who needs something done quickly but you don't have a strategy team behind you you don't have a designer who can make a case for why something needs to be this color and this shape um, and so sometimes you just got to be like, all right, and make it round, I guess, um, and take your lumps that way. That's why I prefer uh, having an agency at my back to, um, to freelancing personally. Right. So you can focus on the skills that you're really good at and not worry about the kind of the other things that other people can do. Yeah, it's division of labor. It allows people to specialize and, and improve. So speaking of skills, what skills do you find essential on a day-to-day -day basis? Mm. Um, I mean... This is a bit of a tried answer, but communication is the big one. Uh, being able to not only document what you're doing so that all of your team knows where things are, but also uh, regularly check in with your project manager, with your strategist, with your other developers on the team, and just stay in touch, especially when I'm working from home or when I'm working remote. I uh, often travel to Chicago. My partner lives there. And I just work from her house when I'm out of town. Um, and so maintaining that kind of flow of communication is really, to me, still a difficult skill. Even though I've, I've had a lot of practice at it, uh, part of me is always going to want to just tunnel into the work and, and get into flow and, and knock it out the door instead of uh, talking to anybody else. <laughs> but talking is a big part of what you do at any, part, any software job, uh, or at least communicating in some way. How do you think you've gotten better at communication? Like, what did you do to purposely get better at it? Part of it is just about habituation, uh, thinking about what I do when I start the day, what I do when they end the day, and what I do when I'm taking a break. Um, getting to associate, hey, I'm going to check in on something, I'm going to post a note in the in this issue or ticket, uh, I'm going to make a commit to our source control that has some description of where things are at. Um, it's just a matter of practicing until it's second nature. 
Great. Yeah. That reminds me of my days where I always like to start the morning and get all the communication out of the way, looking at everyone's tickets, doing the code reviews. And then afternoon is when I get into the flow of actually coding. So I have, I have a question for you real quick. Yeah. Uh, the last time I really got to talk to you, you were not working in tech. I mean, you were working in animation, right? Yes. Uh, and so I don't really know what led you to where you are now. My first animation job was in VFX, and it was kind of a support engineer role. It's basically a step-at-the-door department where my manager, who was amazing, kind of would bring people in with very little experience, and then they could train them up to work in any part of the company, whether it's an artist role or a technical role. And I really liked that, and I really liked the technical aspects of it, and I thought I was going to continue in an artist role, but unfortunately, a lot of those jobs left the city. And I didn't really want to travel around and always be wondering about, am I going to have a job? And I wanted something more stable. And because I enjoyed working in tech, I was like, well, let's see where this takes me. And over time, I realized that what I like about a job is solving problems and working with cool people. So as long as I'm doing that, I feel like that gives me a lot of job satisfaction. That's cool. And so you, were, you did most of your training and, and education on the job, it sounds like. Yeah. So my boss really encouraged us to automate things. So I was like, well, you could either manually hit this button 30 times or you could write a Python script. And if you wrote a Python script, you could spend the rest of your time either training or maybe reading celebrity gossip on the internet. I mean, that's definitely not what I did. But <laughs> you could. Theoretically. Yeah, theoretically. Um, so it really got me into that mindset of being efficient. Um, she actually had this game that was super fun where it was like every quarter you had to like write up all the efficiencies you wrote. And for every efficiency you wrote, you got a piece of candy. <laughs> and wow. whichever, whichever team got the most efficiencies got a pizza party. Wow. A pizza party. <laughs> I know. It was, it's, when I explain it, it sounds like we're children, but it was extremely effective. No, that sounds, that sounds very effective <laughs> to me. That would work. Absolutely. Yeah. I want a pizza party. I have not changed in 30 years on that front. <laughs> exactly. And it was like there was the individual component and the team component. Hmm. That's actually, you mentioned uh, scripting and automation. That's a question I like to ask in job interviews, not necessarily for engineers who often, uh, or even junior engineers who often know that that's a good thing to do when you've got a repetitive task, but to people who are going to work in project management or account management or another part of the agency, because um, they often get repetitive work too. They have to do some updates. They have to uh, maintain drip marketing or whatever. Um, and knowing that you can take advantage of resources within your company and come to an engineer and say, hey, look, I have to do this 400 times. Can you help me find a way to do it once uh, and, and take care of itself. Um, I really like people who, uh, in the past when I've been in a hiring role, I, I really appreciate people who know to go for that and save everybody some time. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like making a culture of efficiency at your company makes everyone better and like opens their eyes to the possibilities. Yeah, I mean, it can be taken too far for sure. Uh, I always say that if you have a system that monitors efficiency between machines and humans and you look at it and say, oh, well, the problem here is the humans, then <laughs> you're starting off on the wrong foot. Yeah, it's, it's funny that came into play with the podcast where one of the things I was doing, so we recorded, I have two audio tracks, but obviously 
I'm talking, you're talking, and I want to split that up. So I have a bunch of little clips that I can edit and kind of move things around and make sure everything goes well. And I was spending a lot of time just cutting out this audio. And I was like, what am I doing? I'm an engineer. I should know better. And there's a Python library that detects silence and cuts up clips. Yeah, that's awesome. And it just like made my editing go so much faster. And I was like, duh. What do you use to edit? GarageBand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was free and already on my computer. So that's how I like to work. Mm-hmm. It's a powerful piece of software. Yeah. So it's just so fun using those engineering skills. Yeah, that's awesome. Are there any skills that were on your job description or advice to have that you never use at all? I don't remember my current job description well enough. I mean, my, my the job description that I applied for. Um, to say that there's anything that stands out as as not coming into play. It's been pretty well targeted. <laughs> um, most of the stuff that I was asked to know, I use on a regular basis. Um, I will say that when I started, uh, I had never worked with Drupal as an engineer. Um, I had never written a single piece of code for that CMS. And that was, at the time, probably 80% of the websites that were built at ThinkShout were based on Drupal. Um, but the job listing said, oh, and it's also, we're looking for people who can work with WordPress. And I had quite a bit of experience writing plugins and themes for WordPress. So uh, as is, as you hear from many people who successfully applied for jobs, uh, you know, I came in and said, look, I don't have everything you're looking for, but I think I can bring this to the table and I can learn what you're asking. Um, and certainly I, you know, I occupy a position in, and privilege in the United States and in the world where um, maybe uh, my status as uh, a white man in my 30s was uh, able to take, convince somebody to take a chance on me. Um, but there's also a certain matter of just knowing your industry, knowing your own capability, and being able to sell yourself in an interview to say, yeah, you know what, I don't have everything in this list. But I can learn it on the job and I can give you this other thing that you also need. Absolutely. That's actually something that I talk to people uh, a lot about where I usually tell people, well, if you don't know something in the job, give an example of when you started a job and didn't know something and how you learned it. Yeah. And that's how you show I've learned before I can learn again. Because mm-hmm. that's, I mean, you know, th- that's the nature of tech. You are going to be learning every day. Um and so people who learn well and internalize things and not only just say, all right, I can recite this back to you, but can immediately put them into practice. Uh, that's a huge benefit. And a lot of employers recognize that. Absolutely. And that's part of what makes tech so fun is that you're always trying out new things. That's There's true. always new things to do. Yeah. You kind of had a you had an interesting path because you had an alumnus help you with an interview and the kind of friends help you along the way. If someone wanted your job, what would you advise them to do? That's a great question. I would say follow the things you're interested in and learn how they're made um, is really what I started with. I was doing web development. Like I, I went to school. I went to school for computer science. I got uh, an undergrad degree in computer science and theater, actually. Uh, that was a double major. And then I went to grad school for comp sci as well, mostly because my education hadn't been super practical. It was great on theory, but I didn't have a lot of application. And so I wasn't quite sure about the job market. Um, but the reason I started doing web development at all, which I never had a class on, was because I loved web comics. Um, I was super interested in what people were doing uh, 18, 19 years ago, as far as building their websites. And I was like, I want to do that. I want to make comics. I want to 
learn how this is made. Um, and so I started searching and made my own stuff as a hobby. Uh, I was fortunate that I had that kind of time and the resources available to me to teach myself that. But if you uh, really love mobile games, um, there's a ton of tutorials out there that will help you learn how to make your first game. If you love, uh, you know, to-do list apps with cool UI, there's a lot of stuff out there that will walk you through trying that out um, on your own phone, just building a little app. If you like websites that do something cool or that uh, display interesting, flexible design, again, just start looking into it um, because your curiosity your interest is what's going to keep you learning and keep you engaged more so than just like, well, I need to learn this because I need a job. Um, if you can follow, balance the line between uh, this is just something that I think is cool and this is something that I think I could make, um, that's the pursuit that is going to lead you to a job and to skills that other people will find useful too. What do you look for when you're interviewing peers or employees? Um well, as I said, I, I especially if I'm hiring outside of engineering, uh, I'm always interested to see people who have uh, a mindset of interdisciplinary work, um, which is really what I'm saying when I say I want project managers to automate things. Uh, but part of it is just um, having somebody who has done a little research, has Googled whatever job they're applying for, and has said, look, these are the things you made. This is what I think is cool. This is why I want to be here. And who can uh, establish a connection with somebody in that interview. A lot of the interviews I've done have been group. So um, you'll have a few people from different areas of the company come in and I'll just have a conversation with uh, the person who's applying, which is not terribly uncommon these days, um, rather than just a one-on-one -on -one interview. And uh, someone who can not only respond well to what can be an intimidating situation, but who can uh, connect back and say, hey, you guys seem like interesting people and you, you, I, you must be doing interesting work or I wouldn't be here. Here's what I'm curious about. Here's what I want to know about what you like about the job, um, why I should be here, uh, how you are selling yourself, not only to uh, job applicants, but to clients. Um, if you can get people in an interview talking to you, then you've already improved your chances because you've established some kind of connection. Absolutely. People love talking about themselves. Yeah, right. <laughs> so as a senior engineer, part of that role is is mentoring and uh, talking to people in different roles. So is there something you find yourself repeating to, often to people either at one-on-one -on -one mentoring or maybe at events that you go to? Honestly, the only thing that comes to mind is uh, don't forget to clear the cache. <laughs> <laughs> that's always helpful. Yeah. I mean, that's at this point, so much of web development is, or our websites uh, live in caches, not just in your browser, but out somewhere in the network in a CDN um, or in, in something that's provided by your host. And so I think, I think the saying goes that there are only two problem, two hard problems in computer science. Uh, Cache expiration, naming things, and off by one errors. Um, <laughs> but cache expiration is a big one. It's a technical problem that everybody struggles with all the time. And especially when you're just building something that you need to see change as you go, just having that as a, a habit um, is will get you a long way. And uh, 
so will uh, using uh, a live build tool, like a lot of sites have, or setups have uh, something that will just reincorporate and change your your site as you edit it live. Um, but if that's not always an option, then uh, clean your cache. <laughs> just something to habituate. Yeah, absolutely. I think the naming things is my white whale. Yeah. I mean, there are people whose entire jobs are are naming things, like people who are experts at that. I wish I had one of those hung out at my desk all day. That would be super great. <laughs> are there any technical organizations or meetups that you enjoy being a part of? That's actually something I really need to work on personally. I don't, I'm not a regular member of any meetups in town. Uh, I'm planning on moving to Chicago later this year, and that's one of the first things I'm going to try and do when I get there is start building a network locally through meetups. Um, so if anybody knows any great uh, web dev meetups in Chicago, especially uh, on the north side, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> okay. Uh, are there any conferences you like to go to? I have not been to any regularly. I've had good experiences at Layers, which is actually a design conference in, in uh I can't remember where it is now. It's moved because it kind of follows WWDC, which is the Apple annual developer conference. Um, anyway, it was it was neat to, again, get some interdisciplinary thought and see how designers approach problems uh, from that side. Uh, I went to DrupalCon for the first time this year, which is a very specific uh, tech sector-focused thing in Seattle. Um, and I had a good time, and I thought, you know what? Some of these talks are really great. They're really helpful. Others, they just clearly slapped us together because they wanted a free pass. And that honestly made me want to uh, come back and present stuff of my own. And so I think that's uh, something always to take away from even a good conference. If you go to a session and it feels flat and it's not well put together, that's a great incentive to come back with your own and do one better. Absolutely. I love speaking conferences. And I don't know if people realize not only is it fun, it's like the VIP experience. I bet. Because everyone is just so excited for you to be there. You get to hang out with all these speakers who are like super knowledgeable. Right. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> What's your next step? Where would you like to go in your career? That's something I'm trying to figure out. Uh, at this point, uh, I'm 38. I've been in this industry for, gosh, I started at my first agency job in 2006. So um, 13 years. And I'm starting to think about whether I want to lean into developer management. Like I want to stay within not just tech, but within specifically within engineering. Um, but I need to start thinking about whether I want to manage other developers as part of my job or move into more of a technical architect role where I'm uh, not so much managing people as uh, making high level decisions on how to build things. Um, and it's something I haven't quite figured out yet. I, I like both of those aspects of the work a lot. And um, so really what I, I want to do is be able to move up in the organization, use my experience for everyone's benefit, and still get to uh, touch a lot of parts of the work on a lot of different aspects. Have you ever thought about having your own agency, or is that too far from the code? Oh, I have thought about it. Um the work of sales and of marketing is something that I don't have in me. Uh, and I have never, I, I've dabbled in it a bit in terms of bringing leads to an agency or um, uh, going to 
networking events and just looking for people who might be looking for work or who might be looking for somebody to work for them. Um, and it's very difficult for me. It's not a talent and it's not something that I uh, feel like I want to learn at this point in my life. Um, so that's a big aspect of starting any business is just having a sales and marketing plan and somebody who can execute it. Um, so for that reason, I have not looked seriously into starting my own agency. Uh, but who knows, maybe someday. It's actually a great point for people who aren't sure what they want to do. And there's so many options that just kind of knowing your own skills and knowing what you don't want to learn. You're like, I just have no interest in this. Let's not force myself to do that. Yeah, you know, sometimes there are things you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to learn to communicate, <laughs> even if you don't want to. But uh, as far as professional skills, as, as um, those kind of division of labor skills, yeah, some things you're going to want to branch into and some things you can just step out of, and that's fine. If our listeners want to reach out to you via social media, how can they reach you? I'm not on social media much these days. Um, I kind of had to quit in 2016. I but if you want to talk about uh, career advice or anything like that, um, you can reach me at b at brendanadkins.com, uh, which is my website where you can see my slightly aging portfolio. Thanks for talking with us today, Brendan. If you want to hear some classic comedy all the way from 2009, you should definitely check out Children's Hour of Knowledge. It brought me a lot of joy when I was stuffing envelopes at my first job after college. To keep up to date on upcoming episodes, or to continue the conversation, please follow us on Twitter at FromSourcePod. If you'd like to share your journey with our audience or have any questions about the podcast, please email me at FromTheSourcePod 